We're in the book of Acts. Chapter 1, Jesus leaves and ascends to heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. Chapter 3, Peter and John heal a a man who has been lame for almost 40 years. Chapter 4, they start preaching and uh, end up heading into put in prison overnight and standing before the Sanhedrin. Chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira who lied to God and uh, God dealt very seriously because he said, I take church, I take my church by people as a, as a serious thing. Um, we talked last couple of weeks about chapter 5, and as we headed into chapter 5, it, um, they are uh, preaching, they get thrown into prison. We talked about this last week, the angel comes and, and, and releases them, and now they uh, are brought, asked to come and meet before the Sanhedrin, so they do. And so that's where we left off. They were bringing the apostles, all of them, into the Sanhedrin to meet. So that's where we pick up our story this morning. So Acts chapter 5, here's what it says. Uh, It says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. This would have been the Sanhedrin. This would have been a group of, of Pharisees and Sadducees and religious rulers of the day. Anybody who had a religious title, um, was probably there. It was, it was a group of very, uh, the, the, the most, in that day, the most religious people there were all assembled here. And it says, and they, um, and they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, now the high priest, the guy who's in charge of this thing, asked them, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Um, it's interesting, he will not say the name Jesus. Uh, and you're going to see the disciples pick up on that. But he will not say the name. So, so they bring them in before these guys, and they charge them with two things. They said, did we not command you that you should not teach in this name? And they had gone right back into the, into the, the, the colonnade, the porch there, and started preaching in the name of Jesus. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring, again, he won't say the name Jesus, this man's blood upon us. So basically, they bring them in. That's interesting, because they bring these guys in. They, they charge them with two things. They say, number one, why are you teaching in his name? And number two, why are you accusing us of, of killing him? Uh, when they laughed the last time and told them not to teach in his name, they looked at him point blank and said, well, you decide whether we're going to listen to you or God. Walked right back out and started preaching in his name. Um, they get arrested. Thrown in, we talked about this last week, thrown in jail. The angel releases them. They go right back into teaching in Jesus' name again. And they bring them, they ask them if they'll come to the Sanhedrin. So they now come and they stand there and they say, okay, you're, you're teaching in his name. We told you not to do that. And the second charge is the one that's, that's, that's really pertinent. Because you see, the second charge is you bring this man's blood upon us. You see, the disciples and the apostles, they taught. They said, look, um, you crucified him. You crucified an innocent man, and God raised him up. Now, the Old Testament, the lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, meant this. If this was true, if the apostles could convince the people that this was true, then you know what that meant? That meant they could die for what they did. It meant people could take their life because they took the life of an innocent man. So this was a very, very serious charge. Um, and this was the charge that they were most upset and focused on. In other words, stop telling people we killed him. All right? Now you're the disciples, and you're the apostles, so what are you going to do? Notice what he goes on in the next 
verse and says. Then Peter and the other apostles then said, we ought to obey God rather than man. We told you this the last time we were here. We're just going to reiterate it. We're going to listen to God, not you. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Now, he's not afraid to use the name Jesus. and He's not afraid to say, you guys are the ones who did this. Him hath God exalted the right hand to be a prince and a savior, to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. It's interesting that subtly the disciples address this. The disciples realize that these guys are worried about their own neck. And, 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 and so the disciples look at them, Peter and John and, and the other apostles, and they look at them and they say, look, this isn't about taking your life. We're not telling people you crucified him so that you could take his life, though they could come back and, and take you guys out. We're telling them this because God exalted him to the right hand to be a prince and a savior to give repentance to Israel and a forgiveness of sins. He said, look, the reason we're telling people this is because we want you to know, even though you did that, there's forgiveness of sin. Even though you did that, you can repent. Even though you did that, God will forgive you. He said, it's not about everybody coming out to take you guys out. It's about you guys understanding you crucified him. God raised him up. He was innocent. He was God. He was the son of God. You messed with the wrong person. But that person sits at the right hand of God right now, and he'll forgive your sin. He will wipe it all clean. He will forgive you. And then he goes on. Notice what he says. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to all them that obey him. He said, look, <clears throat> you guys have watched what happened. You've watched what happened at Pentecost. You've seen the people that are following. You've watched this thing play out. you watched us be delivered. It's interesting. They, when they charged them, they didn't charge them for escaping from jail. They didn't touch that one. They didn't want to have that big argument. He says, look, you know, God, God, is, God is in the middle of this whole thing. And you guys got to understand that. Notice the response of the crowd going on in the next verse. <clears throat> When they heard that, they were cut to the heart, and they took counsel to kill them, slay them. So now what's happened is the group now is all gathered there, and they did this thing, and the people are irate. And they're thinking, let's take them out now. Let's be done with them. We took out Jesus. That didn't help. It just gained momentum. Now these guys are doing it, and people are following them. Let's just take them out. And by the way, it's not just Peter and John this time. It's all of the leadership here. It's all of the disciples and apostles here. And so he said, let's just take them all out. Now, there stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law. He had reputation among all the people and commanded the apostles and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. All right, so let's time out here and and let's talk about this for a minute. We're introduced to a guy by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is an important figure, and here's why. He's going to be talked about again in the book of Acts, okay? Gamaliel is not just a rabbi. Gamaliel is what's called a rabbin. Um, there were rabbis, teachers of the law, and then there were, there were guys who taught rabbis, who rabbis even went to for advice. They were rabbins. They were the highest level of rabbi you could get, okay? This guy is, is like one of the top of the top of the top, okay? He's way up there in this whole rabbinic um, Jewish leader thing. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul was one of his students. Okay? He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. 
Now, here's why Gamaliel is important. His grandfather is a guy by the name of Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L. Hillel was the chief president of the, the religious group of the time from about 25 A.D. to about 50 A.D. So when Jesus is having his ministry, his public ministry, his grandfather is one of the really high, top, important guys. He's way up there. Um, his, his grandson happens to be Gamaliel. Now, it's interesting because by the time we get to A.D. 90, Gamaliel has the position that his grandfather had. And Gamaliel, in Jewish history, is probably one of the most revered of all rabbis, uh, rabbins. Here's what was said of him at his death. Um, and uh, I, think it was, I think it was Josephus uh, who, who said this. Um, okay, I've got to find it now. Uh, oh, no, it was the Mishnah. Um, the Mishnah is a, it's an early church document we have. It's not a Bible document. It's an early church document. It's how they did church in the first century or two. Okay? So the Mishnah has all of these things about how you do church. And it has all of these really cool historical things. It talks about Gamaliel in the Mishnah. And here's what the Mishnah says of him. When Rabin Gamaliel died, the glory of the law ceased. And purity and abstinence died. They said when this guy died, the glory of the law ceased. And purity and abstinence died. In other words, this is a guy who had tremendous respect among the religious leaders of his day. He was a Pharisee. Now that's important because the Sanhedrin was composed of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. So that's why the Sadducees wanted to stop them preaching about Jesus who came from the dead. If you don't believe that Jesus comes, if you don't believe in life after death, if you don't believe in a resurrection, you have a problem when everybody's telling everybody <clears throat> this guy was resurrected, and this guy's alive. So they've got to shut this thing down. The Pharisees, on the other hand, believed in a resurrection. They believed in life after death. The Pharisees also believed in the oral tradition. So the Pharisees said, the Sadducees said, <clears throat> the Bible's the Bible, period, Old Testament, nothing else. Don't add anything to it. It is set. If it's not in the Old Testament, we reject it completely. The Pharisees said, well, we... we understand the Old Testament, we also believe in the oral traditions and what the rabbis have interpreted and, and other things. So in the Pharisee world, it was an evolving thing. They could add stuff to their thing. The Sadducees couldn't. Now, that's important because why? These guys are coming in with a different way. Well, the Pharisees are going to be far more accepting of that than the Sadducees who said, we can't change anything. So he's a Pharisee. Um, he believes in life after, he believes in angels. So he doesn't have any problem believing when an angel came and released him. But uh, the Sadducees, that's out of their ballpark. They can't believe that. So notice what it says. It says, so that's the guy we're talking about, okay? Gamaliel stands up, and he has enough authority and enough respect that he's able, and maybe he was the representative for the Pharisees, but he's able to say, hey, guys, I need you to leave for a few minutes. I want to talk to everybody here. And it's interesting. He says a short while. It's like he knows he's going to be able to convince this group pretty quick to follow what he's going to say. And notice what he says. He said, you, oh, no, go back. You men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do is touching these men. 
For before these days rose up Thaddeus, uh, Thaddeus uh, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain and all, and as many obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. He uses this example of this guy, and he says, there are two historical examples you're going to use. This guy's a little fuzzy because we, we have trouble pinning out exactly who he's talking about. Um, and then he goes on to say the other one, uh, and he talks about, go to the next slide, guys. I'm dating myself. Every time I say slide, it's like, <laughs> uh, after this man wrote up Judas of Galilee, now we know more historically about him, who in the days of taxing, what, what he did was he opposed the taxation thing and tried to get a whole group to say, you know, don't pay your taxes, uh, and uh, drew much people after him. He also perished, and as many as obeyed him, they were dispersed. Now I say to you, refrain from these men. Let them alone. For if this counsel or work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you can't overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, but he, gives, he comes with a pragmatic argument. He says this. He says, look, leave these guys alone. Because if this is God, then you're fighting God, and you're going to lose. Now, the irony is the disciples just argued that this was of God. So why isn't Gamaliel standing up and fighting for God? Maybe we'll have to talk about that when we get to this at the end and reply it all. But um, So he says, look, if it's of God, if it's a man, just like these other guys, it's just going to go in the south and all their followers are going to be dead and it ain't going to go anywhere. So, so don't waste your time here. Here's what's amazing. He was able to convince everybody that. And then going on, notice what it says. Uh, last section. And to him they agreed. And when they called the apostles and beaten them, they said, okay, we're not going to kill them. Let's just beat them. Um, and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. They let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible, when Luke gives this account, Luke flies over this, but I don't want to minimize this. You see where it says, and they beat them? Here's what that means. What they would have done is they would have taken off their shirt and they would have kneeled and they would have been hit with a total of 39 lashes. They wouldn't have done 40 because 40 often killed a person. So they would beat them, usually leaving permanent marks on their chest and their back. And they did that to all of them. So these guys now come somewhat hobbling back. Um into not, not quite the way the Romans did it, because the Romans was to bring them within the brink of death without killing them. But this was a common way to, to, to send a message to people that this is what it's going to cost you if you follow. And the response of these people is what? We're glad we got to have this done to us. And we're going to talk about the implications of that in a second. Okay? And that's how the story ends. Um, uh, let me see this little phrase right there, daily in the temple... And in every house they cease not to teach and preach Christ Jesus. In the Greek language, this is, this is interesting because it, it, it's what we call, it's set up the way that all of the paragraphs or all of the phrases and everything works. It's, it's called A-B-B-A. Okay, so let me help. A, um, in the temple. B, in every house. Follow that? Cease not to teach. B. Preach Jesus Christ, A. Here's what it teaches us. Here's what he's saying. 
In the temple, they preached Christ. In the house, they taught. The idea is that when they got together as a small group, they taught and learned and grew. When they went out into the public, they talked about Christ. When we go out into the world, we're telling people about Christ. When we come in here in our small group, we learn about God. And it gives us a little bit of pattern for this early group of people called people of the way and the way that they learned and grow and grew. So that's how the passage ends, all right? So um, with that in mind, let's talk about, let's talk about things that, that, that we can learn. First thing, when you study the message of the disciples and the apostles, here's what you find. Their message doesn't change. When there's pressure to alter their message, it doesn't change. When they look at him and say, don't go out and do this, what do they do? They walk right out and do that. When they bring them in and say, look, you know what? Here's what we want you to do. We don't want you to talk about him anymore. What do they do? They talk about him. When you look at the message that the disciples and apostles are preaching from chapter 1 in Acts all the way up to chapter 5, it's the same message. He was innocent. You crucified him. God raised him up. God will forgive you. Trust in God. Oh, don't say that. That's too exclusive. No, it's not. We're not changing our message. Now hear me. The way you do things may change. The message should not. The message never changes. Methods might. The way you present it might. But the message should always be the same. Now listen, we're in a culture in which churches are under a lot of pressure to adapt the message to the culture of the time. So, you know, you can't say that, that, that homosexuality is wrong. I'm sorry. The Bible says homosexuality is sin, and it has always been sin, and it will always be sin. That is the message of the Bible. That doesn't mean that I can't speak against it, that doesn't mean that I can't love those people. I have friends who are homosexual. I can love them. I can care about them. I can be friends with them. And I can look at them and say, what you're doing is wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. I have friends who are alcoholics. The Bible says that you are not to be drunk. And they, on a regular basis, get drunk. I can love them. I can care for them. I can be friends with them. And I can look at them and say, what you are doing is wrong. The Bible says it's sin. I have friends who live together. They're not married. I can look at them and I can say, I love you. I can be a friend with you. I can care about you. But what you are doing is sin. It is wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. The message doesn't change. I can look at my Muslim friends and I could say, I love you, I care about you. The Bible says there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. You are wrong. Let's go have dinner. We're in a world where over and over again we're seeing this idea of you can't have black and white. You can't say those things. You have to adapt the message and change your message. And I'm here to tell you, one of the things that you see in the early church, the message never 
ever, ever changes. And if there's one thing we need to learn as we go forward in an inclusive world, the message doesn't change. And when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but me, then that is the only way. Oh, but they're nice people. Fine. Not going to argue with that. But if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, being a nice person is not enough. So that's one of the things that we learn. A second thing that we learn from these guys is this. It is important that you and I are people of influence. I'm amazed here that Gamaliel... Now, I think Gamaliel did this for political reasons. I don't think he was, like, doing the godly thing here. I think he was actually doing this for political reasons. Because, you see, if he let them keep running around saying this guy rose from the dead and you believe in a resurrection and you believe in life after death, that helps your position, okay? So I, I believe there's a little bit of politicking going on here. But he stands up and basically argues, and here's the thing. He's able to get a group of people, a group of the smartest people in the... In, in, in that area at the time. He's able to convince them that his way is better than their way. All because he stood up and said, hey guys, what about this? And the people go from wanting to kill these guys to now saying, okay, we're going to let them go, but let's beat them instead. So there is this change, and he's able to change, and in a short amount of time, listen, you and I have got to make sure that we are in, when we have opportunity, we're in places of influence. One of the things that's happened in the church is we have pulled away from society and we've pulled away from culture and therefore we wonder why nobody's listening to us because we're not in positions of influence. I'll give you a simple example. Um, I, sit on a, I sit on the board for the fair rules and stuff for 4-H. Okay? I was at one of the meetings and we're having one of the meetings there and, and they were looking at one of the things that we do is we work on the schedule, the 4-H schedule for the Woodbury County Fair. And they wanted to move a deal. They wanted to move one of the shows to a Sunday morning. Okay, and they said, you know, we can do it on a Sunday morning. Now, everybody's having this discussion on why it would be better and why it would work out in the show rings and everything else, and I'm sitting there as part of the board and part of the thing, and I said, um, well, I'm just going to throw this out here before you guys make a decision here. <clears throat> I do the Protestant service on Sunday morning, and I said, and there's two other church services on Sunday morning. I said, if you're trying to get as many people as you can to a show, I said, I'm just here to tell you. I said, we have about 150 people that come to our service, and I said, plus the other service, plus the other service. I said, and, and I can't speak for all of them, but I can tell you right now that I know that a lot of them, if they have to make a choice between going to watch a show and coming to a service, they're going to be at the service. So before you make this change, you might want to think about that. There's a question. What if nobody was there to bring that up? And they sat and they listened and they thought, yeah, this is a really bad idea. Because I was in a situation where I had the ability to speak up and say something, to be able to influence something that does affect other people. And, and I want to challenge you because there's a lot of times that and some of you, you know, you're just like, well, you know, that takes up a lot of time to be involved. I, I get that. But if it's an, a place where you and I can have influence, we really need to think hard about the opportunity that God's given us. Gamelia here was in a position of influence and he made a difference. Uh, it helped the disciples actually. Third thing that you see in this is the danger here. There's a danger here of pragmatism. This is a two-edged sword, okay? Gamaliel's advice is not godly. You need to understand that. It sounds like it is, but it's not. Because Gamaliel's argument basically is this. 
If it's good, God's blessing it, and if it's bad, God isn't. And there's some truth there, but there's also a lot of error there. The truth side of it is, you don't want to fight against something that God's in the middle of. The error side of it is that just because it's succeeding doesn't mean God's in it. See, I see a lot of Christians who's like, well, you know, yeah, I know in my lifestyle I'm sinning and da-da-da-da, but, but God's still blessing me, so it's not that big a deal. No, it still is a big deal. Um, I have a lot of church friends who they'll take a program and they'll adapt a program and it'll work and they'll say, see, God's in it. No, it just might be a really great program from a business standpoint. You know, we got ready to do this church. You can't believe the number of uh, flyers and emails that I get on. Here's how to have a capital campaign to guarantee that you can have 80% of your funds within the first six months. And da 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 And, and, you know, my mailbox gets flooded with that stuff. And it's like, no. You know, here's how to increase your church's giving by blah, 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 blah. No. Okay. Because, you see, you can take some, some business principles and apply them to the Christian world. No work. That doesn't mean God's in it. And you've got to be careful of that. Because sometimes we get that way. We think, well, you know, I'm just going to go do this. And, 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 and if, it, if it turns out good, then God's saying it's okay. And Gamaliel's advice works out fine for the disciples, but it doesn't work out well in life. And just because, just because it's turning out well doesn't mean God's blessing it. Be careful of that. That's one of the things that bothers me when I start seeing things go really well here is, is it us or is it God? Is what's happening out there our manufacturing of it or is it God at work? And what I always look for is I want to see God's fingerprints in it. I want to see God doing things where you step back and you go, the only way that can happen is, is through God. And what's exciting to me is as I look at this whole project and I look at the way things, I can see God's fingerprints all over the thing. Where it's things that are so out of the norm, you've got to step back and you go, okay, that could only be God. I mean, there's no way. You know, we have one that when I share it with people, they're like, I don't share it a lot because some people can get in trouble. But um, it's a God thing. Because the people that I've shared it with, they're going, that don't happen anywhere. I'm like, exactly. It's a God thing. It's a God thing. And that's what you have to do as things go in your life. You have to look at, is God in the middle of this? Is, is God's fingerprints all over this? Or is this something that I'm doing? Be very careful about this pragmatism thing. It's a two-edged sword. And there is an element of truth. Listen, you be careful what you attack. Because if God's at work and if God's doing it, you're not fighting that organization or that person or that whatever. You're fighting God. So be careful there. Okay. On the other hand, for something that you know that it's not from God, then you can say it ain't from God. You know, there's some ministries out there. I don't have any problem saying, look, that's not of God. That is not what they're teaching. When people start telling me that you can get to heaven by ways other than God or other than Jesus Christ, it's pretty easy for me to go, you know what? That's not of God. The Bible says test the spirits, see if they're from God or not. And so we got to be careful with pragmatism. Here's the last thing, and this is going to, some of you are going to have a hard time with what I'm going to say because if you listen to Christian radio and if you watch the news this past week, nobody is telling you this. So you're only going to hear it right here probably. Um, and you're really not going to like it. But um, as I've been studying and as I've been reading this passage this week and I've watched what's happened on the news. And if you're not aware of it, this week our president signed an executive order making it, 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 it 
telling basically the government to lay off of Christians. That's basically it. And it's been interesting to me because I've watched the evangelical world. In the evangelical Christian world, some people are excited. And they're going, yay, that's great. That's what our president did. There's other people who are going, yay, our president didn't go far enough. We want more protection. Okay? And here's what I'm going to suggest to you this morning. I think they're both way off. Okay? And here's why. When I look at the early church, here's what I see. I see a group of guys standing up for God. And the result of them standing up for God is they're persecuted. They're beaten. They are they paid a high price to be able to have the message that they have. They walk back to their Christian friends and they say, we are so thankful that we were beaten for the cause of Christ. We are so thankful that they took our shirts off and they beat us and it's going to take me, it's going to take my body months to recover from this. We are so grateful for the shame that we were put under. And we have Christians this week that we are saying we are so thankful that it got easier to become a Christian. We are so thankful. And some people are going, well, we wish it would have gotten even easier. And I'm wondering if we have missed the point. And I'm wondering if when did we go from a group who were following Christ, who said, we take joy in the fact that people don't like what we're saying and will persecute us. And by the time we get to chapter 9, here's what you're going to find. People are going to die for this thing. And now we're to a point as Christians where we're going, oh, God, you've blessed us because you made it so much easier. And I wonder, This morning, if I could bring up those 12 apostles and stand them up here. I wonder how many of them would be, their prayer would be, God, thank you for making it easier this week. I think we're missing it. I think we're missing it big time. And when you go back to the early church and you watch this thing as it is snowballing and taking off and people are going, by the time you get 30 or 40 years down the line, Not even that far. Nero's going to come into play. He's going to throw Christians to the lions. And Christianity is going to explode. And more and more people are going to follow Christ. And you study the growth of the church, and here's what you see. When the church is persecuted, it goes like this. And when they face more persecution, they go like this. And the more persecution... And you know when Christianity takes a nosedive historically? When Constantine stands up and declares, Christianity is now the official religion of Rome. We want to encourage everybody to be a Christian. And you watch the church grow, and the church goes like this, and it tanks. Why? Because it didn't cost you anything to be a believer anymore. Because it was just another fad. Because it wasn't real, it wasn't deep, it wasn't meaningful. All of a sudden, it was popular. And when it was popular then, it really didn't have much value. You know, think about it. Any of you do in the hobby market, think about something. Anybody remember when Beanie Babies came out? Remember how everybody was collecting the Beanie Babies? And then what happened? The market got saturated and the whole thing tanked, right? We used to collect precious moments. Same thing. 
you know, value, 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 value. And then all of a sudden they started, you know, it's like, okay, this year we're releasing 600 limited editions. Boom. You know? And you've watched that over and It's no different with Christianity. And I wonder sometimes how we've gotten to the point that we take glory and excitement when it gets easier for us. And I think we're missing it. You know, you say, are you, are you, you know, are you not glad? No, I'm glad the president signed it. But on the other hand, I wonder if it was the best thing for us. I've got to step back and go, you know, was it really a good thing? Was it really a thing that's going to help us grow? Or was it really something that, you know, don't let your good be evil spoken of, that, that, that Satan's going to use? And I step back and kind of wonder sometimes. And you go, are you, are you, you know, because I know what happened. And again, what happened? This, this is what bothers me. We're at a point in Christianity where what do we pray for? God, make it easier. I'm going through a tough time. Lord, make it easier. And then we step back and we go, how come the world doesn't want what we have? Because who doesn't? I mean, you know, we miss it. I think we miss it. And, and that's my concern. Because these disciples are a group of people. You know what they say? <laughs> they come back bloody. They come back beaten. They come back crippling, walking in there. And they say, you know what? Guys, we're glad to be back. And we thank God that we were able to go through what we went through for the name of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in it. And I wonder sometimes if we've missed that. And I wonder how we got from there to here. And I wonder sometimes if going from here to here was not a good thing, but rather it was a bad thing. It hurt us more than it helped us. You know, believe me, I'm like you. You know, don't, don't get me wrong. I want an easy life. I'm like you. You know, I don't buy a recliner that makes me uncomfortable. Okay? Um, you know, I don't buy. A, I'm like you, you know. I, but I wonder sometimes if that prosperity and that goodness and that blessing in some ways hurts us more than it helps us. And I'm thinking that if the church is ever going to be what the church needs to be, it's going to have to get a lot tougher for us. So we find out who's really in it for show and who's really in it because it's real. And um, persecution, difficulty, hardship weeds that out really quick. It really does. So I end this week this way. As we head into this week, the Christian message is one which should never change. We may change the way we present it, but we have to may, remain faithful and true to the message. We need to put ourselves in places of influence so we can influence the world that God's placed us. And when we first face persecution, we need to stop complaining and realize what a privilege it is to be associated with people who face persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we have been so blessed. And yet, Lord, for some reason, we just keep wanting more. Lord, may you work in our lives to get us to be the people we need to be. Lord, when those tough times come, may we stand faithful and true 
not because of what we get, but because of what we have in Christ and our relationship. Lord, help us to be the influence we need to be. And Lord, thank you for the message of Jesus Christ. And when we have opportunity, Lord, may we never compromise it. May we make it clear and may we be bold in the way we, we talk about it. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.